I'm excited about this particular sermon series. This is a book that I really love that we're about to dive into. Um, you know, it's, it's an appropriate book uh, for the world we live in today. We live in a world full of enslavement. People are enslaved to their sin, to their passions. People are enslaved to their performance. People are sl- enslaved to dead, lifeless religion. And the book of Galatians is all about freedom. Freedom from dead religion. Freedom from works-based righteousness. Freedom from your sin. Freedom from earning. Freedom in Christ. And freedom, ultimately, that changes you. Freedom that leads us to have to be people that love and obey God from the heart, from the inside out. Freedom that brings joy in following Christ and not burden. So I'm excited about this series as we're going to journey through the book of Galatians, which is all about freedom in Christ. That's the theme of Galatians. And Galatians was written, if you don't know, by the Apostle Paul, likely the first book he wrote. So right out of the gate, Paul has to kind of defend grace, talk about freedom in Christ, and uh, sets the stage for much of his ministry here with the book of Galatians. So today, I want to talk about the gospel that sets us free. What exactly that is and what exactly that isn't from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. The word gospel simply means good news. If you've been here with us many times, you've heard that definition before. The gospel is an announcement of the good news of what has been done. The, particularly, it's the announcement of the good news of what has been done in Christ on behalf of sinners, that sinners might be saved. It is the heart and the message of Christianity. And it's not something that we believe one time and then move on to deeper things. That's what some people think about, it, right? It's like, well, you you hear the gospel, you believe the gospel, then you move on to deeper things, like figuring out what stuff in Revelation is all about, when Jesus is coming back, and what these weird creatures are that are in Revelation, who the Antichrist is, and what 666 means. And, and like, we want to move on to the, those kinds of things. And You never move on from the gospel. You never mature beyond the gospel. You mature in the gospel. You move with the gospel. And today's passage is all about that gospel. It's about the fact that there's only one gospel that can save you and me. There's only one gospel that can free you and me. But there are other gospels that want to promise you freedom, that want to promise you salvation, but in the end they enslave people and they condemn people. So with that in mind, look with me at Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It's on the screen for you if you don't have the scriptures with you this morning. Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of men 
or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me or preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of Galatians is known for its directness. The Apostle Paul, who does not have the tendency to be indirect or undirect anyway, this is his, considered his most direct, bold, blunt book. Paul would typically write a church, and after his greeting, he would say something he was thankful for. He would compliment the church in some way. He would encourage the church in some way. He would say, I thank God because of this. When I remember you, I thank God because of this. And then he would get into the problems, right? But this is the only letter we have where Paul goes from hello to we got a problem. Very blunt. Without ever saying anything nice. Without No buttering them up. No nice sweet words. Just simply, here's the problem. Hi, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. Here's the gospel. Here's the problem. Very direct. Now why is that? Why is it that this letter, more than any others, is the most direct, the most blunt, particularly the most offensive, you might even say, to some? Because the gospel's at stake. The gospel's at stake. It, 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 it requires strong words. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, I am astonished. And then he tells them they are deserting God. Did you catch that? Not just the gospel. You're deserting God. That's strong words. Hello, Galatia. You've blown it. You've messed up. You've missed it completely. You're on the wrong track. See, there is a time to not sugarcoat things. Now, I like things sugarcoated. If you go down to CVS and you need cough drops, they've got them in a bazillion flavors. You can get them citrus flavored. You can get peppermint, probably. All kinds of ways you can get a cough drop. But if you have an allergic reaction to fall down on the floor, having a seizure or passed out, and we have to pull out an EpiPen, it doesn't come in flavors. It doesn't come in hurt or not hurt. See, when doctors come up with life-saving medicine, life-saving procedures, they're not really thinking about what it tastes like or feels like. They're thinking about getting it, in, in the case of the EpiPen, into your bloodstream as quickly as possible before you die. See, there's a time the sugar-coated medicine is unimportant. And it all depends on the gravity of the situation. There is no greater risk to your spiritual health than false gospel. When we're talking about the integrity of the gospel and what it means to be saved or not saved, and what it, what it means when your soul is at stake, sugarcoating it, Paul shows us, will not do. We have to be direct. We have to get to the point, particularly when it's people who profess Christ as Lord and Savior and they begin to move away from it. Paul, hey, this is time. we got to get this in your bloodstream. We've got to get this immediately to you. This is a dire situation. Well, what is the situation? Well, the churches in Galatia, which consisted of a lot of Gentile believers, were being attacked by some false teachers who were probably called the Judaizers. These were a sect of false teachers who came out of Jerusalem that believed that simple faith in Jesus Christ was not enough to make one right with God. You couldn't just be a Christian. You had to be a Christian and a Jew. You need to also keep certain aspects of the law, such as circumcision and dietary restrictions, circumcision being the predominant one that Paul deals with in Galatia. These false teachers attacked the churches in Galatia in two main ways. First, they attacked Paul's apostleship. That's why the very first sentence is, Paul, an apostle. It starts there. 
Because they were attacking his apostleship. See, an apostle had to be one commissioned by Christ. Jesus picked the apostles, by the way. The church didn't pick the apostles. It's the apostles of Jesus Christ, not the apostles of the church. So Jesus picks his apostles. And so likely what was happening is these people were coming in and going, this guy wasn't even around. You know what he was doing? He wasn't even around when Jesus was doing this. In fact, he was trying to kill people. He's no apostle. And Paul reminds them immediately. No man called me to be an apostle. The other 11, 12 apostles, they didn't call me to be an apostle. The church didn't call me to be an apostle. Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ, met me on the road to Damascus and he called me to be an apostle. He commissioned me with the gospel. He saved me. I had a direct encounter with Jesus. And just like the others, I've met Jesus and I've been commissioned. He's, and here's why he's defending his apostleship. Because by undercutting his authority, it makes it easier for them to undercut the gospel. Because if Paul's not really an apostle, maybe his gospel's not really the gospel. If Paul's not really legit, maybe his gospel he preaches is not really legit. And that's the second thing they did. They added to the gospel message. It's not enough. Jesus alone's not enough. Grace alone's not enough. You've got to have works. You've got to have the law. It's not enough to believe on Jesus by just simply repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ. You've got to now keep the law. You've got to now be circumcised. You've got to now keep the dietary restrictions. You need to come to observe the Sabbath maybe on Saturday and certain festivals and things of that nature. You've got to become culturally a Jew. Out of the gate, Paul begins to confront this false teaching. He reminds them that his apostleship comes from Jesus. He reminds them also that he's got other believers with him. That he's not a reject, in other words. He is, in fact, a part of the church. Has been accepted by the brothers. Paul wants them to trust his authority because he knows what's really at stake is not his authority. It's the gospel and the integrity of it. So Galatians is all about the gospel. It's about the true gospel that sets free and false gospels that enslave. It is a book that shows us what the gospel is and what it is to receive it, but also what the gospel is not. And I think it was Martin Luther that said that's the most important thing about Galatians is it clearly shows us what it is not. So even in the life of a believer, listen now, We've got to learn to spot the difference in false and true gospel. Because even in a believer can find yourself moving away from the true gospel and at times functionally living like you're hoping in a false one. It's of vital importance to our souls to learn the difference. So I've just got two points this morning. The true gospel that frees, the false gospels that condemn. So let's talk about that. Number one, let's talk about the true gospel that frees. He lays it out in the first few verses. In fact, if you go all the way down to verse 11, the last couple of verses we read, you see why the gospel's true in the first place. He's, what makes the gospel true? Well, it's not from man, he says, but it is from God. It's been, it's been revealed by, in and by Jesus Christ. Paul says, I didn't get the gospel from man. I got a direct revelation from Jesus. And it's not man's gospel. It's God's gospel. It's Jesus' gospel. And so in verses 11 and 12... Paul is likely refuting the accusation that he was simply trying to please man. In other words, well, of course this guy says you're saved by grace alone. and You don't need works and you don't need to keep the law. Makes him get more converts. It's a lot easier to believe that than to believe you've got to be circumcised. He's just trying to please people. And Paul says, do I sound like a man pleaser right now? No. If I was trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. I have to decide. Is my loyalty ultimately to Jesus or ultimately to man? And Paul says, mine is to Jesus. It's to God. And the gospel is from Him. And he shows us in the first part of the passage why we need the gospel. Verse 4. He says, Jesus gave Himself for our sins. 
That reminds us for the need of the gospel. In fact, he says, in fact, the present age we live in is evil. The point is, we live in a broken world that ever since the fall, the age has been evil. The world as we know it is broken. We live in a world where horrendous stuff happens. Things we can't explain. Things that I don't understand and that you don't understand. Painful things. Difficult things. And it's all because the age we live in is evil. It's fallen. It's broken. And you and I are sinful people living in a sinful, broken world. It's brokenness on top of brokenness. We have sins. Paul reminds of Jesus died for our sins. We are sinners. But the Bible tells us, in fact, about Jesus, God's Son, sent to rescue people, in fact, from sin, to free us, to save us, to deliver us. And that's what Paul begins to speak of. So what has Christ done in the gospel? He says he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. The heart of the gospel is that Christ would offer himself as a sacrifice for our sin. The phrasing reminds us that Christ had no sins. Think about that. He offered himself for our sins, not for his sins, not for his sins and our sins. He had no sin. In fact, if he had sin, he couldn't offer himself for our sins. It took a sinless sacrifice. And so the one the Bible tells us is God in the flesh, the very Son of God, Jesus, comes, lives the righteous life that we can't live in our place, perfectly keeping the law that you and I can't keep. And then he dies a death in our place, taking our sin, taking the punishment for our sin, and dying as the one who can, only one who can atone for our sin, as the ultimate sin sacrifice, as our substitute. It's been said the gospel in four words is real simple. Jesus in my place. Living righteously in my place. Dying a death in my place. When we put our faith in Christ, it's when Christ died, we died. When Christ rose, we rose. Jesus is our substitute. Standing in the gap for sinners. The word deliver here means to rescue or to set free. Christ has rescued us. He has set us free from the present evil age. Now what does that mean? John Stott said this way. I like this quote from John Stott. He said, Christian conversion means being rescued from the old age and being transferred into the new age, the age to come. And the Christian life is living in this age, the life of the age to come. What's that mean? Well, Stott explains it. The age to come has been inaugurated by Christ, right? He, he comes and he says, the kingdom of God is here. And the present evil age has not yet fully passed away. So we can see it all around us. So we live in a time of overlap. A time of already but not yet. Christ's kingdom has come, but it hasn't come in finality yet. It's crashed ashore, but we await the finality of his kingdom. The end of sin. The end of even the temptation of sin. But right now, we are those who have been set free from sin, free from the evil age, who are assured to live with Christ in the new age, but who must now live in the midst of a broken world. Stott goes on to say, quote, The purpose of Christ's death, therefore, was not only to bring us forgiveness, but that having been forgiven, we should, live, we should have a new life and live a new life, the life of the age to come. Notice this work of Jesus is according to the will of God our Father. It's according to the will of God our Father. Jesus was raised by the Father, he notes in the first couple of verses. He died according to the will of the Father. His death delivers us from our sin according to the will of the Father. Jesus was sent by the Father. Jesus willingly came. No member of the Godhead was unwilling. 
in your salvation. The God has was united in our conversion, in our salvation, and what needed to be done for it. And the will of God is for sinners to be saved through Jesus. That's the will of God. And there is no other way. That is God's plan. It's all grace or it's nothing. Either we will be saved according to the will of God through the grace of Christ and His death on the cross and His resurrection through simple faith in Jesus or we won't be saved. That's God's will. So what is the heart of this gospel? It's grace. Right? The, the passage drips with it. Verse 3, grace to you. Right? And peace, he says. That's a very common greeting in their day. Paul uses it. You see it in his letters a few times. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace is the foundation of the gospel and peace is its fruit. Peace is its fruit. Peace with God. Peace in your heart through Christ and His grace. The, verse 6, he says, you've been deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ. It's the grace of Christ shown us through His death and through His resurrection. The gospel is about the grace of God, the unmerited, free grace of God. Grace means there is nothing that you and I can do. Not even a little bit. Not even an hour. It's all a gift. It's all free. It's all unearned. Our human nature struggles with that. It wrestles with that. Growing up, um, I remember there was this uh, there was this way to ruin a meal called shake and bake. <laughs> you ever, ever ruin a meal shake and bake? And shake and bake was like, yeah, yeah. You have to, to have the chicken. You put it in the recipe. You put it in the bag. And you shake it up. And basically, it was like cracker dust all over your chicken. And you bake it. And they had this little commercial with this sweet little southern girl. And she'd say, it's shake and bake. And I helped. Right? Just like that. That's how I remember it. Maybe it's just a southern accent that I have that I remember that way. Maybe she was not southern. I don't know. But anyway, it's shake and bake. And I have other words. It's not just a meal. It's an event. Your kids can help, right? Because, you know, kids like to help. My, my kids are that age. Had somebody also point out to me that Betty Crocker cake mix, that when they came out with Betty Crocker cake mix, they didn't have to have it where you had to put egg in it. They purposely designed it where you'd have to put in egg so you can feel like you contributed to the process. So it didn't seem too easy. So you felt like you contributed in some way. Why? Because that's human nature. We want to help. We don't want to be accused of being lazy. We don't want somebody just doing something for us. We don't want to hand out. That is human nature. And I'm telling you, the gospel says, if you help at all, you've missed it. It's all grace. There's nothing we bring into our salvation but our sin. Amen. We are broken. We are messed up. And the only way we can be delivered and be set free is if we don't help. And we look to Jesus and say, I need help. Amen. And we put our faith and our trust in Him and Him alone. We have to recognize and believe it. And daily walk in the freedom that we have in Christ. That it is by grace. The free grace of God. Grace is free or it's not grace. And it's not the gospel. Now how, what about these false gospels? Number two. Let's talk about the false gospels that can do. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. And are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. Man, those are strong words. We've said it before. I'll say it again. He says, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is astonished. He's up in arms that they're turning to a different gospel. Now notice the danger is clear. You're deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. When they depart from the gospel... He says they are departing from God. They're deserting God. Here's the point. You can't be wrong about the gospel and right with God. 
That is the simple point. The word deserting means transferring your allegiance is the literal translation. It was used of a soldier deserting the army during battle. He's calling them traitors and turncoats, as commentators point out. Notice, he says he called you in the grace of Christ. At the heart of the matter is grace. The false gospel is not a grace gospel. It was a works gospel. It was a different gospel, Paul says. A different gospel. Not that there is another one, he says. What's his point there? In other words, it's not a real gospel. It's not, it's not good news, really. It's not good news. Jesus died for you and, and you've got to do a bazillion things to earn your salvation is not good news. He says it's, it's not a real It's not that there is another gospel. It's, it's fake. It's false. It's faux. It's phony. It's not legit. But see, for a fake to be a good one, it's got to look real. Right? For fake money, to be good fake money, it's got to look real. They've got all kinds of ways. They've got to figure out whether money's Legit or not. Now, I remember the first time I walked into a gas station and paid with a 20 and hold it up in the lot and run the magic markers on the lot in the world, right? Because, man, the counterfeits have gotten so good. Every now and then you walk by some flowers and the counterfeit's so good you kind of smell of them and you feel stupid <laughs> because they're plastic. Right? Jewelry. People will pay a lot of money for fake jewelry. Cubic zirconia is not cheap. <laughs> The false teachers made their gospel seem real by not outright rejecting Jesus. They didn't reject it. They added to it. It was Jesus plus instead of Jesus only. It was grace plus works instead of grace only. He says, notice they want to distort. Distort the gospel of Christ. The word distort means to pervert, to change, or to alter. To alter the gospel in any way is to make it a perversion, is what Paul is telling us. Now, here's the thing. Scholars point out that the word for distort here means to change in such a way, to distort in such a way, to pervert in such a way, is to actually bring about the complete reversal. In other words, Paul's saying this false gospels are a reverse gospel. They're the opposite. <laughs> and they do the opposite of what they intend to do. They intend to set free, but they enslave. They intend to bring... Salvation, but they bring condemnation. And in fact, they are reverse of grace. If you add anything to grace, it's no longer grace. The moment you alter anything, it's no longer the gospel. In particular, in Galatians, the concern was adding to the gospel. Adding something to it, now it's no longer what it was at all before. Christy, my wife, used to always be trying to encourage me to drink more water. Not a big water drinker. Drink it when I have to stay alive. And I would always tease her. I would say, well, I get my water from sweet tea and Coca-Cola because there's water in those products, right? My body has this filter and figure you would, you know, roll her eyes. And we all know that Coca-Cola is not water and sweet tea is not water. Right? Once you add something to it, water might be it, but it's no longer water. It's a different product altogether. And once you add something to the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. We've got a new product. And Paul says it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's different. It's a distortion. It's a perversion. Because if you add something that you do to free grace, it's no longer free or grace. It's works. And any works oriented gospel is the reverse of the gospel of grace. Grace is free on merit. Works is about earning or achievement. Grace is of God. Works is of you. It's all opposite. Now here's the thing about false and different gospels. They come in all shapes and sizes. For instance, 
Anytime someone is altering the person or the work of Christ or the way in which you receive the gospel, they are making a false gospel. Example. Jesus isn't really God. We'll call him God's son, but we're not going to say he's God. False gospel. Jesus isn't, wasn't really fully man. He was God, but you can't really say he was fully human. Jesus didn't really bodily raise from the dead, right? In spirit he rose, he risen in our hearts. False gospel. Jesus' death wasn't enough to save you. You also need to, that's a false gospel. Oh, you repented and believed? Well, you also got a false gospel. All these are ways to distort the gospel. Now, sometimes it's obvious. They have their own Bible translation. They've added to the scriptures. Clearly deny the deity of Christ, things like that. But see, these guys had snuck in and were fooling people because sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's Baptist. Sometimes it's Methodist. Sometimes it's non-denominational. Sometimes it's quote-unquote evangelical. People come in all kinds of clothes. The Judaizers would affirm much of what was taught by Paul, but they simply wanted to add to it. In other words, Paul, you didn't go far enough. You didn't tell them enough. You've got them started, but you haven't got them where they need to be. And that's what we deal with. It's the mindset that I've got to do something, something to contribute. My baptism, my morality, my earnestness, and even more suddenly, I have to finish what Jesus started. See, we have to fight for, and the gospel is worth fighting for. It is finished, or it was begun. Jesus didn't cry out on the cross, I got it started! He cried out what? It is finished. In other words, my work is enough. My death in your place, his soon-to-be resurrection is enough. It is finished. Salvation is not a work begun by God and completed by you. It begins and ends with God. And the gospel of grace is about done. D-O-N-E. Jesus finished work on the cross. And false gospels wants us to be living differently. There are plenty of commands he wants us to obey. But it is always to be from a position of full rest in what Christ has already done. It's always about living in light of, man, I am free in Christ. I've been set free by his grace. And now I want to love and obey God. Not so I can be accepted by God. Not so that God won't kick me out of the family. But just because I love him. Just because he's changed me. Because I want to honor him. I want to glorify him. Because he's changed my want-tos. The bottom line is there's really one gospel. And there's really one main faith in it. The one gospel is about God's grace in Christ. And the false ones are usually about our work in place of or addition to Christ. No one says, well, you're a good person. Even if you don't believe in Christ. But if you mean well, right? You're sincere. You're trying love people, you're good people, you'll go to heaven. That's a false gospel. It's in churches. It's in Baptist churches. It's works gospel faith. It's about being a good person, being sincere, being upright. One says, to be a Christian, you have to look like me, do what I do, live exactly like me, go along with my traditions, be in my political party. That is false gospel. It is work-centered. You say you can't be a Christian if you don't. It's false 
gospel. That's what Paul's writing the book of Galatians about. Quit adding to the gospel, he's saying. That's what we have to fight for, even in our churches. And we've got to beware of the false gospel's cousin. False fellowship. Well, we'd never say, oh, you're not a Christian, but we just say, you're just not like me. There's probably a church for you, but it probably ain't this one. That's faux love. Fake, false, phony, pretend. It's false fellowship. God rid us of it. It's holiness being filtered through your personal preferences and tastes. What you think is holy, what God says is holy. That's the first cousin. Here's the thing. What happens with false gospels? All disappear. I do this. I don't say that anymore. It's hard to say. That's not certainly not very seeker friendly. This is the first time you've been with us today. You're like, man, this church. This is right. We just go through the scriptures. He says, if you were an angel from heaven, and even if we were an angel from heaven, Paul puts himself in the group. He says that I. We, if anybody, your pastor, your student pastor, your children's minister, your deacons, your best friend, your mom, your dad, anybody brings to you a false gospel, he says, let them be accursed. Even if an angel from heaven, if Gabriel shows up and says, I've got new news, he goes, it's no news. Let them be accursed. What does that even mean? That's strong words. What does it mean to be accursed? It means quite literally to let them be judged and condemned by God. Let them be set aside for God's wrath. All Paul is doing is saying this is where it leads anyway because apart from Christ we all are under God's wrath and under God's judgment. Christ didn't come to condemn, he came to set free. We're already condemned apart from Jesus. We're sinners. Why do you think Paul's so passionate about this? Because they are leading people astray. They are pointing people away from God, leading them to desert God. In so doing, they are also demeaning Jesus' name. Jesus is not enough. Insulting God, they are leading people away from Him, and all this in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of salvation. He's going to fall asleep. No matter who's preaching, just because someone has authority in your life or perceived authority in your life, they don't have the right to bring a false gospel into your life. Because the gospel's not rooted in who's preaching it. It's been revealed by Jesus, he goes on to say later. It comes from Jesus. He's the authority. Nobody has the right to alter it. The church does not sit in authority over the gospel or over the word. The church comes under the word, under the gospel. And this is what false gospels do. They ultimately invite and bring the wrath of God. All sinners are under judgment already. And only the true gospel of grace delivers us from the wrath of God. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, another letter, Chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. It's only Jesus and his gospel that delivers us from God's wrath. Now, there are a couple major applications here if you think about it. Here's the first one. First question is this. Is your salvation rooted? Do you think being a good person 
your own personal works in some fashion, in any way contribute to this effort. That is an opportunity. You can't just trust something other than what you believe is holy, and you can't trust something in addition to what you believe is holy. You need to believe the true gospel. That's what holy scripture talks about. That's why a lot of people walk around professing Christ and they've never been changed by Christ. And so why am I no different than lost people? Why do I have no victory in my life? Why do I care nothing about walking in obedience? Many times you get to talking to them, they don't have a, they couldn't tell, they can't give you a good gospel. They'll usually get works in their life. They've never been changed. They've never been made new by Christ because it's only the gospel that brings true life change. Here's another question. Believer? Christian? Do you know that you're not immune from being affected by false doctrine? Even as a believer? Remember the Galatians were believers. It was a church. And they're being rocked by this, quaked by this. Paul is calling them back before they show themselves to not many of you believers at all. He's warning them before they do that. See, if you start telling yourself to be loved by God, to be accepted by God, I've got to put any good thing in me you can find. If you start thinking that your behavior affects how much God loves you and accepts you, you start thinking your performance determines your inheritance with him. You start, you're setting, you are functionally looking to something besides the gospel of grace in your life. To justify you. Let me ask you this. As a believer, have you ever felt the fury of God? Maybe it's because in that moment, in the wrong analysis. Tim Keller puts it this way. He writes, even Christians sometimes experience a sense of condemnation. When they do, it is because functionally they are trusting in different gospels, different ways to earn salvation. The present evil age can still influence believers. Because it's just natural. That's what false gospels do. They, they, they invite a curse. They invite condemnation. They invite judgment. So we function like it's not Christ alone, but it's my performance or my this or my that. There's a reason, even someone who's a believer who begins to operate that way. Well, I don't feel like God loves me because I did this or because I'm struggling with this or whatever. And they start feeling condemned and it's false gospel is affecting their feelings instead of the true gospel. See, Paul said these false teachers were, quote, troubling the church. Trouble the church. They trouble you, he says. And that's what a false gospel does. It troubles the church. It'll trouble the Christian. It harms, it doesn't help. It brings condemnation and not conviction. But Paul said in Romans 8, 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The true gospel never brings condemnation. Oh, I've been convicted many times as a Christian for sin, for lack of wisdom, disobeying God, the Holy Spirit convicts me. He does not condemn me. And when we feel condemned, when we feel abandoned by God, it's because usually we've invited a false gospel into our life. I'm not saying you, you've relinquished the gospel. I'm not, that's what I'm, saying. I'm not saying you complete. I'm saying functionally. You're not acting like this is true. Instead, you're acting like this is true. You know in your heart of hearts that it's Jesus and Jesus alone, but you're behaving like it's you. And your works. And your behavior. And our behavior is important. 
in terms of living a Christ-honoring life. But it is not what brings us and ushers us into the presence of God and brings freedom into our life and salvation. Here's the question this morning. Have you, first of all, trusted the gospel of grace? Trusted in the gospel of grace? The only gospel that can set you free. Free from what? Free from works-oriented salvation, from sin, from dead religion, from shame, from condemnation. It's the only one that can set you and me free from that, to love and obey God from a changed heart. Not out of duty, not out of earning, but of a new heart that loves and longs to obey God and Christ. Second, believer, having begun by the gospel, have you allowed false different gospels into your life this morning? Knowing and believing that you're only saved by Jesus and His finished works, are you functioning like that's not really true? Do you find yourself living like a slave instead of a free man? Has your Christianity lost its sense of joy? Is everything a burden? There's no joy. Many times, those are symptoms that we're moving away from the gospel of grace. Have you? Have you moved? 